Okay, I know you didn't plan for your life to look like this. Neither did I. And I know it feels like you've lost so much. But I keep hearing God whisper, I am right here. And there is more. I'm Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. Let's talk about loneliness for a second. It's something that all single moms have to deal with, but one of the reasons it's so frustrating is that it is not a one-size-fits-all kind of a thing. Your experience with loneliness is going to be totally different than mine, and oddly enough, being in a relationship usually doesn't fix it. To learn more about the roots of your own experience with loneliness and what those roots are telling you that you really need, take our What's Your Loneliness Type quiz over at plusoneparents.org. One of the most difficult things about identifying abuse is the fact that it does not look like a lot of us think that it's going to look. To give you an example of this, I had a friend that had always seemed to have lots of difficulties in her marriage. They fought a lot. There were always these discoveries and things that were coming out, things that had been hidden. But then there were also these periods of time where it would seem like everything was okay. So, for example, they'd go on these really fun exotic trips together. Or he might buy her something really expensive or they'd do a remodeling project on their house. But then eventually things would always go back to the way they were, if not worse. And so in the midst of all of this, though, they did try to get help. You know, at some point she discovered an addiction that he was hiding. And at that point, they'd gone to their church pastor. At another instance, they had a blow up at a family function. And so they decided to go to the church's professional counselor. And in all of these instances, every time they tried to get help, either the one of two things would happen. Basically, they would either be told like, hey, seems like you guys are doing great. There'd be some kind of like miraculous change that would happen in their marriage and then they wouldn't need to get help for a little while. Or it would turn out that the counselor, whoever they were seeing, would say, well, it seems like, you know, we've given you guys everything that we can give you. So, you know, go off now and and see what you can do on your own. And so this went back and forth like this for a really long time until at one point she discovered a major affair that he was having. And so my friend at that point just didn't know what to do and had heard from another friend about a therapist who specialized in betrayal recovery. And so she decided, you know what, I'm just going to try and go by myself. And in going to this counselor by herself and in telling her story, the counselor started probing her in ways that no one else had ever tried before. And she was asking all these other questions. And my friend said that she couldn't really understand like how these things were all connected. She asked about the gifts. She asked about the addictions she asked about, the blow-ups, all those types of things. And then she turned to my friend, looked her straight in the face and said, do you know that this is abuse? She felt so dumb. She said she felt humiliated. Like, how could you not know this? How could you not know that you were being abused? But she's not alone. This is a very common experience for abuse survivors. It's very common for an abuse survivor to need to be told by an outsider, by a third party, that what they are experiencing is abuse. So with that in mind, though, why do we miss the signs of abuse? You know, one of the reasons I think we miss the signs of abuse is because we think it's going to be super obvious. We think it's going to be like a movie where the creepy character with the like ominous music in the background 
is, you know, lurking in the shadows and it's going to be really obvious what this person is all about and what they're doing. But that's not always the case. And then other times we may actually have a sense that something is wrong. We may have this feeling that something is off. We might even know that this person has some bad habits. Maybe that's what we call it. Some issues, some trauma from their past, some addictions, those types of things. And so we have this sense that, hey, there's something that's amiss here, but we want to be sensitive to the fact that, hey, everybody has problems. You know, everybody has things to work through. We may think, hey, you know what? Everybody has issues. And then when it seems that even sometimes that they are making some progress or that they are making some changes, then we think, hey, maybe this thing is going to be fixable. Maybe if I just hang on for long enough, he'll get there. Or in the midst of this, we may even start to doubt ourselves. We might think like, hey, well, maybe other people around me would say something if something was really off. You know, maybe my pastor would know, especially if you go into a situation where you do take someone to see a pastor or a counselor that, hey, they should be able to tell from the story that's being relayed that something is wrong and might be able to call that out. But there are also instances, even when we do seek help, that sometimes we're holding things back. Sometimes we don't want for that person's reputation or our reputation to be harmed, especially when we think that perhaps this could be fixed or maybe maybe we're just making too much out of it. And so we don't want to necessarily bear all of those bad details out because of what the implications of that could be in the long term. Or other times we know that if we do seek help or if we do share all those details that once we're behind closed doors, it's something dangerous could happen. And so it's something that we know it's better and safer for us to just not speak up and not say anything at all. And if this sounds like you, if this sounds like how you've handled a situation that either you're in now or have been in in the past, I want you to know first and foremost that there is nothing shameful about thinking that way. These are the signs of a person who is doing what she has to do in order to survive. But in this time of surviving, there's all of this chaos and confusion that is going on, and it's hard to know which end is up. And the thing I want to say to you, though, is that what if what you're seeing is real? What if abuse is not supposed to be obvious? What if it's meant to keep you off your guard and confused and doubting yourself? What if you are not crazy? What if you sensing that something is wrong is actually right? See, the reason that we miss the signs of abuse is because abuse is based in deceit. It's based in lies. It's based in manipulation. It's based in saying one thing and then going and doing another and trying to cover your tracks. That is really fundamentally why we miss the signs of abuse is because the person who is doing these things is trying to hide it. Like I said, we think abuse is going to be obvious, but when we think about it, Satan is not obvious. Satan is the ultimate abuser. Abuse is evil and it's wicked. And he is the one who shows us, even from Genesis, the way that abuse operates, the way that abusers operate by deceit. If we go back to the Garden of Eden, where he is in the garden with Eve, he whispers lies. He causes her to doubt. He causes her to become so confused about her reality that she actually goes against what she knows to be true. Here she's been in the garden 
with God, with Adam, with God, and they know him. They know God's voice. They've been with him. And yet the way that Satan deceives her causes her to go against all of that. She's so much in doubt and confusion, and that is how abuse operates in the world today. If you were to Google what are the signs of abuse, a lot of times you'll see listings of behaviors, and these listings can be helpful. You know, if you look up things like the power and control wheel, you will find a list of the variety of different ways that abusers perpetrate against their victims. And we have a listing of these in our devotional safe haven. They're helpful to know that these behaviors line up with an abusive mentality. But that's really what I want you to focus on is the mentality that's underneath those behaviors. It's not purely just about the behaviors. It's about the intentions of the heart and the mindset behind them. And here's why that matters so much. If you get fixated on the behaviors, then sometimes we get fixated on the solution, on changing it. Sometimes we think, well, I don't really know if this person really understands what they're doing. So maybe if I can explain this in another way, or if I can be patient enough, or I can be a good example, maybe then they'll be able to understand and they'll be able to see it. Or what can happen is if we're focused on the behaviors, we end up bringing them up and then the abuser will say back a variety of different ways to explain that away. So they'll say things like, well, it's actually your fault because da 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 Or they might say, well, you do those things too. What makes me an abuser? Or they might have some excuse for why they do those things or what they learned from their childhood and that sort of thing. May play on your emotions and your compassion. And the reason then it's so important to understand that mindset, that intention behind the abusive behaviors is that mindset will be at play when that abuser is confronted, whether it's by you or anybody else. And so that deceitful mindset is going to come out whenever those behaviors are addressed. Now, in understanding this abusive, deceitful mindset, there's one tool that I have found really helpful, and it's called the three E's. And this is just one method. It's not a perfect method, but I think it's a simple method, and it's uh, very easy to remember because there's only three of them, <laughs> and they all use the letter E. But it, it's just a framework that you can look at somebody's behaviors and start to pass them through this lens and start to figure out am I really seeing something that's wrong? And so these three E's are empathy impairment or lack of empathy is a way to understand that, entitlement and exploitation. So when we look at the way that an abuser looks at a relationship, they don't see a relationship as a two-way street. They don't see it as something where there's mutuality and care and give and receive. They see it as something for them to gain what they feel that they deserve, that they're entitled to. And very often for an abuser, that's going to be power and control, adoration. They have based their whole view of themselves on their ability to get what they can out of a relationship. And so that means then because they feel that they're so entitled to what they, what they feel that they deserve, they will do it by any means necessary. They will do it by exploiting somebody else. And the only way you can do that is to trick somebody because you can't walk into a situation and say, hey, who would like to be in a completely one-sided relationship with me and get absolutely nothing in return? Nobody would go for that. 
So what they have to do is come in being very charming or fun, charismatic, having perhaps lots of things to brag about or to show off. Um, We call this love bombing, but anything that would be attractive to a victim to draw them in. And then once they have what they feel they're entitled to, they'll do anything to keep it. And that means often harming this other person, creating chaos and confusion. And in doing that, though, there is a lack of empathy in what that does to the other person. There is a lack of care and consideration in causing harm to this other person in order to keep them close to get what they feel that they need from them. And so when we look at then truly what the definition of abuse is, these three things help us to see that this person is not functioning in a relationship the way that people are supposed to, that the way that God designed us and and designed relationship. God designed relationship to be where people are fitting together. As we talked about in our episode about loneliness, where we're, we're drawing together people who have needs and who have means, and they're meeting each other. And that's really what relationships are supposed to be. But when we see then that there's these three E's that are being played out, we see that the abuser is not doing the same thing. And ultimately, that is what the definition of abuse is. Abuse is to misuse something, to use it wrongly, incorrectly. And in this case, we can see that if an abuser is using a relationship in these ways, that they are, in fact, misusing the relationship for their own purposes and for their own glory. And all of these things I'm describing are mentioned in the Bible. Paul wrote a letter to Timothy, and in one section of his second letter, he's very clear about these types of people who are exhibiting these types of behaviors. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, he says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and money. They will be boastful and proud scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love pleasure rather than loving God. They will act religious, but They will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Stay away from people like that. And Paul is mapping out all of these same behaviors. He's talking about people who are cruel and reckless and are exploiting for money and for pleasure, that they have these addictions and these vices that they are governed by. And that's the thing that is so telling in this section. Actually, the very, very last part, he says they will act religious and they will reject the power that could really make them godly. That means that some of these abusers, while we think it's going to be that shifty guy in the corner, they're in our churches. That means that they could be leading worship. They could be pastors. They could be people helpers. They could be doing all these things because they're creating an image and a persona of being one thing, but they are absolutely denying the power of God in the way that they live their lives. They are not transformed by the Holy Spirit at all. They're not bearing the fruits of the Holy Spirit. They don't have the power over sin that we gain when we're born again. And that's one of the the key differences here 
You know, it's like, well, but I've done some of those things or I've said some of those things or nobody's perfect. And the point is, Paul is saying these people are doing these things so chronically that you could actually identify them by these behaviors. And he's telling us it's wrong and we should stay away from it. And of course, we're not saying that Christians don't sin. We're not saying that. But what we are saying is that this person is still a slave to their sin. And a lot of times the only person who knows that is the person who is closest to that person. It's the person who is living with them. It's the person who they have the closest relationship with. It's the person who knows those secret sins that they look not to have on the outside to everybody else. But on the inside, you know if they've got an addiction. You know if they have angry outbursts. You know if they aren't able to keep their commitments or hold a job or any of those types of things that Timothy is pointing out here, and that there's no desire to change it, that though there may be attempts to go to therapy or counseling or to try some new thing that nothing really ever seems to work, like in my friend's case, you know, where everything just seems to continue to not only go back to the way it was, but continue to get worse. And what we know then is that person is not yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. They are not allowing for their lives to be a place where God is doing his work. It's a life that is submitted to Satan doing Satan's work. And so in this, we have to understand that this is the mindset. This is what's really going on, that you can see all of these behaviors, but the reason things are so confusing, the reason that things don't seem to match up is the fact that the motives don't match up with what they're showing on the outside. And when we really look at the person's heart and we really look at this inconsistency as a sign of who they truly are, then things start to come a little more clearly into view. So one of the trouble spots here is that abuse is deceitful. And that means that we won't always know it, right? If it's being hidden from us, how are we supposed to see it? How are we supposed to know that the parts that we do see are really what we're seeing and that we're not just maybe making things bigger than they really are? Is there a way to see those signs of abuse? If you're like me, you've probably already seen so many red flags in your life that you could cut them up and make yourself a lovely evening gown out of them. I have wasted so much time and tears in unhealthy relationships and mostly because I just didn't even understand red flags. And here's what I found out. Red flags aren't just for dating relationships. They are for all relationships. And what we don't know can really hurt us. With this in mind, Plus One Parents has created a class called Red Flags in Dating, What They Mean and How to Make Sure You Don't Miss Them. This is a single session class, and in this class, you'll discover why red flags even matter in the first place. You'll learn the obvious and the not-so-obvious signs of a person who is emotionally unavailable or abusive, and you'll also learn what you need to know instead to meet a godly match. You can actually start this class right now, today, when you join the Plus One Parents Collective All Access Membership. And you can do that by going over to plusoneparents.org. So as we move into our action step, like what can we do, whether again, this is a situation you're in right now or something that you have dealt with in the past and you're still just feeling this fog of confusion and doubt. What I want you to know is that firstly, that confusion 
is a sign. That confusion that you're feeling, that fog, that inability to really understand what you're seeing and what you're in, that is a huge sign. And that is a a reality not only just in our physical mind, but also in the spiritual and there's an interference here. This is, you're really in the middle of a, of a battle between good and evil. And so in that, you need other truth tellers, other people to come alongside you to help you to see clearly. Jesus told us that we will know a tree by its fruit. And a lot of times where that confusion comes from for us is we are seeing what we think is a good tree bearing all this bad fruit. And so it doesn't make sense to us. That's where the confusion is. And the clarity comes from in recognizing that if this tree is bearing bad fruit, then it is a bad tree. And it's hard for us to reconcile that. There's a lot that is hefty and weighty in that. That's that's not easy even to say about another person. And sometimes we're like, is that even the right thing to say? And we'll get into that in a whole other episode. But the point is... When you're in it, it is very, very hard to do that by yourself. And this is where seeking the guidance of others can really help you to gain the clarity that you need. Now, the problem is oftentimes abusers are so deceitful, so manipulative, and so good at it that they have possibly fooled a lot of the people around you. They may have created such a great reputation that you know if you went to your pastor, they wouldn't believe you or that they would point the finger at you and say perhaps that some of this is your responsibility, which it is not, by the way. This is this person's choice of how they want to move through their lives and relationships, and that is not your fault. They will do that regardless of of whomever they're in relationship with. But the point is, those may not be safe situations for you. It may even be that close friends and family wouldn't believe you or that the abuser, you know they've got something on you that they would turn and use against you. They may even threaten to do so if they get wind that you might be trying to speak up or get some help. And so if you're in this situation, one of the things that I can suggest for you is to seek one-on-one professional counseling with an abuse expert. And a lot of times you can go to, even if it's a local domestic violence resource, and they can suggest counselors, maybe even Christian counselors who are experts in these areas. But it's important for you to be able to get a subjective opinion and to get it on your own. Because as we mentioned before, like in the case with my friend, that marriage counseling is not recommended for these types of situations. A lot of times, like we said, they're going to be, the abuser is going to be so concerned about their reputation that they're going to go in and potentially try to turn the counselor against you, or they will take what's said in the counseling office and turn it against you when you come back home. So those, that is not an avenue to consider. But if you go in this one-on-one scenario, sometimes people are concerned about like, but this person doesn't really know me. And actually that's really helpful. It sounds crazy to say this, but these abusers are often using very similar methods and that mindset is very much the same. That even if they use different ways, if this one's slightly different than another in the methods that they're using, that that entitled lack of empathy, uh, exploitative mindset 
is obvious still, even if this person does not know you or the other person. These patterns are very obvious and they repeat. And so to you, it may seem like you're not really sure if what you're seeing is real. But to this other person who's an expert that sees a lot of these types of situations, they have the ability to pick those patterns out very, very clearly and to help you to first identify that this truly is what you have been dealing with. But if you are going to seek support, it is so important that you do so safely. When an abuser knows that their victim may have caught them, may be ready to expose them, that can oftentimes be the most dangerous time for the victim. So it is important that you do these things in a way that is safe and protective for you that you have a safety plan in place for your physical safety, for your emotional safety, for your children, for your finances. And so again, that sometimes is another reason to engage a domestic violence resource that can help you with planning all of those right steps. There's no way on this podcast that I can give you all of that. And I'm not a professional counselor in that area. But what I do want to do is just encourage you that if you need some support in this area, that you understand that it is there, that there are people that can help you, and that in seeking the truth, you can become clear that we do not serve a God of confusion. The Bible says that our God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace, and that in seeking the truth, He will be with you, and He will set you free. Thanks for being with me for this episode today. For more resources for single moms and abuse survivors, join us at plusoneparents.org. You can also catch us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. Until next time, remember, you are seen and you are beloved.